We're going to continue our series on Advent, and each week of Advent, we focused on one of the truths of Christ being born. Uh, I think it's interesting that Christmas is teaching us who Christ is, and Easter is teaching us what Christ has done. And so as we consider those two elements, I think it's also interesting that probably the two greatest holidays that are... Uh, that people participate in across the world is Christmas and Easter. They're the two greatest holidays, and they tell us the two most important truths of who Jesus is. And so it's an awesome opportunity for us to dive into God's word and to really understand what is it that God would become flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Why was he with us? What needed to take place for that to happen? We started with hope. Hope was born on Christmas and raised on Easter. And so hope is so important. We have a hope. Uh, And it's not in ourselves, it's in Christ. Our hope is in the one who hasn't changed yesterday, today, or forever. You know, the viewpoints of men change really quickly. Science textbooks are updated almost weekly nowadays because there's so much information. There's so many things that we learned that we didn't know. And sometimes the things we learn are the opposite of what we thought was before. And so there's unsettling sand when it comes to the knowledge of man because it shifts and changes so quickly. And yet we have put our faith in a firm foundation that has been eternally in the past as in the present and eternally in the future will be the same. And so that's something to be hopeful and have peace about. Peace is not absence of crisis, but the presence of Christ. Peace is not the absence of crisis. Peace doesn't mean that your life's going exactly the way you think it should. It means that Christ is with you in the good and the bad, that you have trusted him to be your savior. And when he tells us in Matthew 28 that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he will be with us to the very end, we can trust that promise. And then joy. If you really wanna have joy, joy is different from happiness. You can get happy from a nice meal. You can get happy from a great gift. You can get happy uh, from something that you remember from your childhood. That is external, that it deals with your environment and circumstances. Joy is from within. Joy is a gift that God gives to your spirit. And the best way to find joy is to put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And it doesn't mean you think of yourself less. It it doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. It means you think of yourself less. And I think that's an important tool and principle. That one principle alone would radically shift so many lives in a positive way. So if we can live that out, be an example of that, and share that with others, I think it would make a profound difference. Today, we're looking at love, and specifically the love that God demonstrated to us and why it's so important. And as we're going to see later, the one way that we know that God loves us, and the focus being dealing with death, the one way that we know that God loves us is that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. The one way that explains to us the depths of God's love for you and me, I have value, you have value in the sight of God because he loved us enough to die for us. And that's a beautiful thing, and it's a wonderful thing, but we kind of have to dive into that issue of death to really understand that. And I know for many, Christmas is a, is a bittersweet time. It's, it's, a, it's a sweet time. You get to be with your friends and family. You get to do things you don't typically get to do. But it can be bitter also because for many of us, there are people that are no longer here. I, I think of my own life. I think of my mom. Uh, and here's a picture. My mom, my two grandmothers, and my mother-in-law get to celebrate Christmas with Jesus. That seems a little unfair to me that they get to do that, and I don't. But in some ways, I am. But they're there in his presence. 
And this Christmas season, it's just not the same without Nan. It's not the same without my mom. It's not the same without Nana. It's not the same without Grandma. It's just not the same. It's, it's new, it's different, but it's not the same. And there is, I don't think as Christians we're to, sh- to check our emotions at the door and say, I have no emotions or I have no feelings about this. I think you actually dive into those feelings and understand what does God want to teach you? What does he want to grow you in? How can you have peace in grief? How can you have hope in grief? How can you grieve the way God wants us to grieve? And so today we're going to dive into that. And as we come up to this season in a couple weeks, uh, actually a week from Monday is Christmas. How can we live out the words of scripture and allow it to bring healing and hope to us and to the people around us? And so as we dive into this question of how to deal with death, the world has a way of dealing with death. You know that one of the most popular topics uh, of writing today is how to deal with struggle and death. If you go to Barnes & Noble or if you go online to Amazon and you look at audiobooks or regular books, you're going to see a lot of books on how to deal uh, with depression and death. And some of the things we're told in culture is to ignore those feelings. Just pretend like they're not there. Put them on a, you know, put them away from your mind to move on with life. Don't consider it. Don't live in that place. Move on with your life. That's behind you. So we're taught that. And we're also demonstrated, many people will do that. They'll hide their feelings, they'll, they'll repress them, they'll, they'll pretend like they don't feel this way, and, and that's one of the ways we deal with, with this grief. Another way is distract ourselves. This is one that not, we don't necessarily have speakers and books about, but most people do this. They drink their pain away, right? They pursue a bad relationship that distracts them from their pain, One of the ways that we deal with struggle and conflict and grief is by distracting our minds from that grief. And we see that all the time. And one of the sad things that I've read a lot, this is a very popular view, is to devalue that thing so that it doesn't bother you so much anymore. That's one of the most popular uh, approaches now is to, to think, well, value today more than yesterday. Don't worry so much about those that are behind. Now value the people that are here. And so they deny the true value of the person or the thing that you're grieving. And so none of these, I think, are accurate. None of these are really what God wants us to do. So what does God want us to do? How does he want us to deal with these things? So what does God want us to know about how to deal with death? And that's not really a really great Christmas theme. (laughs) But it does connect today with love. If we're really going to talk about love, we have to talk about the two greatest problems that every single person has. The two greatest problems that Scripture, God's Word, reveals to us is not an economy, um, it's not uh, lack of success in your life, it's not health in your life. The greatest two problems that every single one of us that has ever lived, will ever live, anyone in this room, anyone you'll meet today, these two things, death and sin, are the greatest problems. These are the greatest issues we have to combat, death and sin. And so today we're going to look at what does the scripture say about this and how can we connect it to the love that Christ showed by coming to earth as one of us. So let's pray, precede his word in prayer and ask him to speak to us directly. Father God, we are thankful for another day. We're thankful for another Christmas. But Lord, we all know in this room that it is appointed once for us to die and then to stand before you, either as your child or as your enemy. And so, Lord, we ask today that we would grow and learn and mature and become, and that we would know how to deal with the feelings that all of us have, 
when it comes to grief, loss, death, the struggle. Lord, we know that you, uh, you did not avoid this. You went at this fully. You committed yourself to pay for us on the cross, allowing yourself to die so that we wouldn't have to die eternally. Lord, I pray that you would bless the words that we read, that they would jump off the page into our mind and kindle a fire and love for you. Help us, Lord, now to just turn out all the distractions, turn out all the things that might keep us from growing, and help us to be in tune to your spirit as we look at this together. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to go back and start with what we really uh, earlier talked about in uh, Matthew chapter 2. We've talked about this verse each and every week, and I really think it's amazing how this connects to the topic today. This is referring to the wise men or the, the magi that have come with the gifts. If you remember, they go to Herod and say, who's the true king? Uh, we're, we followed the star. Uh, very important to recognize. We're not told how they knew that information. We're not told how they knew about a star, how they knew that this was an important person, how they knew that it was Messiah. We're not told any of that information. But we are given some clues that they truly did understand what they were doing, and it wasn't by chance. It wasn't just a lucky guess. This was very specific, an act of God. And so we read, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And if you recall, we talked about gold representing the kingship, that, that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and that he will reign on the throne of David, and he desires to reign on the throne of your life, that, that we are vessels. The Bible calls us the temple of the holy God, and he is to be in the holiest of holy place of our lives, the temple, uh, the, the, the seat where the king sits, the most important should be Christ. And so he's the king. Uh, you give a little baby gold, they're just going to chew on it. It wasn't a practical gift to give to a child. It was a gift representing they knew who the child really was. And we talked about the jokes that you can get me some gifts and it tells me what you really think about me. And, uh, you know, it's going to show me. If, I, if you give me a gift that says uh, dealing with anger and how to be at peace, I'm going to learn something. You think that I get angry pretty easy or... You know, whatever gift you give me is going to tell me a lot of how well you know me. And the Magi knew Christ very well because they gave him gifts that truly represented who he was. And so the gold represented his kingship, that he came, he was born to be king. Uh, he, he will be king. We are to worship him as king. Many times we use the phrase, give Jesus, uh, allow him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. That Lord represents kingship. Is he king of your life? And then we talked about frankincense. And the kids like it when I say, not Frankenstein, ooh, frankincense. Frankincense was a very valuable, very um, desired incense that was used by the priest. It was, it was used in the temple, and it was that connecting point that the priest was the one that connected the people to God, that the priest represented the people, went before the Lord and gave the sacrifice and gave the prayers of the people. And so God heard the prayers of the people through the priest and that this baby Jesus would become the high priest, that he would be the final high priest, that he would be the one that would take our prayers to the throne, that when you're a child of, of God through Christ, that now Jesus is your advocate. He, there is nothing between us and God except the one Jesus Christ. 
Christ. He is the mediator. He is in between. He is the high priest. And so when they gave the gift of frankincense, it was declaring he is the high priest. This child will be born to be the one and only in fulfillment of the high priest. He is the one that connects us to God. Heaven and earth are connected through Jesus Christ on his cross and his resurrection. So when they gave this gift, it wasn't a gift that was practical for a two-year-old. It was a reflection of his identity. It was a truth being told to all time that we could know who this child is and who he would become. And today we're going to look at myrrh. What is myrrh? Why myrrh? What is the significance? We're going to look at the Old Testament first, myrrh. The Old Testament, what it was used for. And then we're going to look at the New Testament pre-cross and post-resurrection and see how this picture of Jesus is revealed through myrrh. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. If you remember Moses, let my people go. They left Egypt, the Exodus. They exited Egypt and entered back into the promised land of Canaan. And now God is, he's beginning to build a structure as a foreshadowing of the kingdom. And he's beginning to build a structure so that you and I can understand who he is, who we are, and what is expected of us. And here's what it says, verses 22 through 28. The Lord spoke to Moses, take yourself fine spices, 12 and a half pounds of liquid myrrh. 12, that's a lot, right? 12 and a half pounds of liquid myrrh. Half as much, six and a half pounds of fragrant cinnamon, six and a fourth pounds of fragrant cane, 12 and a half pounds of cassie, and a gallon of olive oil. Perhaps from these, prepare from these a holy anointing oil, a scented blend, the work of perfumer. It'll be a holy anointing oil. With it, you are to anoint the tent of meeting the ark of the testimony, the table with all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, with all the utensils and, all, and the basin with its stand. And so here we see the first reference to the myrrh. And here's what it's telling us. In the tabernacle, which was the moving temple of God, if you remember, uh, God has Moses set up a tabernacle that moves with the people. And inside the tabernacle, only the priest, the high priest, could go into the Holy of Holies. And the priest was to go in and anoint all of the elements within it with this myrrh uh, perfume that had been created exactly the way God desired it to be. So why? Why did God have this uh, unique uh, approach is this just by chance? Was this just random picks? Or is there actually something here for us to learn? One of the things we've done here in the past is we have anointed with oil. And olive oil is what we use. Because the olive represents the Holy Spirit of God. We know that in the ark, Noah sends out a dove and it returns with an olive branch. We see where Jesus, uh, he, he refers to the olive tree. The olive tree is a powerful imagery for us. And it's the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit, what did, what did oil do in those days, in biblical days, where they would place it on their feet to keep the dust from going to their feet? They would place it on an injury so the injury wouldn't get infected. They would place it on their face and arms and legs for moisturizer. It was something to keep you healthy. It was something to keep you safe. It was something to keep the dirt off of you. It was a symbol of what the Holy Spirit of God does within our life. 
And that when Christ died on the cross, was rose, had ro- risen again, the Holy Spirit came. He said, I must go so that the helper may come and anoint you just like David was anointed as king with the Holy Spirit of God. And that every area of your life would be anointed with that. From your brain, to your ears, to your nose, to your eyes, to your mouth, to your heart, to your lungs, to your body, uh, your arms, legs, your feet, all of those are to be anointed because the things you look at should praise the Lord. The things you hear should praise the Lord. The things you say should praise the Lord. Uh, Your heart should beat in praise of the Lord because only the Holy Spirit can achieve that. And so the priest would enter the tabernacle and it was a symbol of when Christ died once and for all that that Holy Spirit now could make its way into every crevice of our life every area of our life. And it was this beautiful scent of myrrh. It was this beautiful ointment that that, that God had dictated to Moses to put together so that we would understand what it meant to have the Holy Spirit of God covering all of who we are. And that's why salvation, it, it is so much more than knowledge. It's the Holy Spirit of God. That's why I tell people, if you haven't been changed, you haven't met Christ, you can't tell me you know Jesus and your life's not changed. Because when you know Christ, the Holy Spirit, he anoints you. And now you have new desires. And, and, you, and, you, and one of the major things that reveals that you're anointed is that your brain can't handle, keep sinning. You can't keep sin without conviction. You can't keep doing things that, that hurt your father and hurt that relationship with God. You're convicted. And so the Holy Spirit of God allows us to do that. So there's this beautiful picture of myrrh in the temple by the priests, and they would continue to do this. This is an everlasting ordinance that the priests were to do in the temple. Once Solomon establishes the temple, now the priests would do the same thing with the myrrh ointment over all of the areas inside the temple. Not only was myrrh used in this way, in that day and age, they didn't have at least here, embalming fluid, you know, it was, death was dealt with differently. Death was a different thing. And I know if you've been to other countries or you've been to other places where they're not as strict about what you do with dead bodies, there can be dead bodies in, in, in the streets, there can be dead bodies in backyards, and what happens is it causes disease, it causes uh, an odor to be emanating everywhere all the time, I don't know if you've ever read the Civil War or Revolutionary War. They would talk about the stench of death, that there's a significant, unique smell of death, that death has its own unique smell. And so one of the things they would use myrrh for in the, in the more secular tense, the more common tense, was to cover the body of a dead person. And so they would wrap them, and then they would anoint them with the myrrh. And so how did they deal with the death of a person is they would cover them with the myrrh. So death, the odor of death, was covered by the scent of the myrrh. Not a great gift to give to a two-year-old. Next time you have a family, that, you know, someone in your family, they have a baby shower or something, don't bring in bombing fluid. They're not going to like that gift. They're going to say, how much is this? We're turning it in right away. But that, in essence, this is where sometimes you read it as a kid, you never thought these gifts are really strange. We should read with adult eyes the scriptures. And should we ask adult questions? Why in the world are they bringing a two-year-old, a one-year-old, gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Those are not, those are not the gifts. The gold's going to help Mary and Joseph, but these other two items are very unhelpful for a mom and dad trying to raise a one- or two-year-old. Because the gifts were not practical for the time. They were telling a greater truth of who Jesus is. And so when we look at the myrrh, we see that 
It represents that Christ is Savior. And we begin to see that as we look at the New Testament. Because it, this, remember, everything throughout Scripture, it's a pattern. God keeps bringing up the same thing in a different way. He keeps revealing his truth in a new way over time. And his story just, it, it's beautifully laid out to, that here it's revealed this way. And then it begins to be revealed that way. And it's a new and unique way each and every time. And we see that because if you turn to John chapter 11, verse 32... I did skip a verse, and I think it's important to go back to it really quickly. Death had a beginning. Genesis 3.19. For you were dust. We're told that God breathed into the dust and that it became a, a living person. For you were dust, and to dust you will return. That without God, yes, if God doesn't exist, then life is meaningless, purposeless. We should not be here now. And there really is no reason to do anything. There's a great author that had friends. He was an atheist, and he said, what do you guys think happens when you die? And they all said to him, just you disappear. You no longer exist. Eventually the sun will burn out, and all this will be gone. It will meant absolutely nothing. And he said, I spend every day trying to write a book. I challenge myself to write new things and to be uh, interested in the things of this world and how they work, and, and I try to help people. And you're telling me all of that leads to nothing? And they said, take, he was Russian. He says, you're just Russian. That's just the way you think. They said, take it easy. Go to the beach and forget about it. And it was interesting that he said in his memoirs, he said, he could not deal with this concept that he had to stop thinking about the most important thing. And that was how you were supposed to cope with life. To ignore the greatest problem was what he was told to do. Ignore the fact that death is imminent and what will happen. Death had a beginning. Death is not part of God's eternal plan. Death will be thrown into the lake of fire. Death is a thing. It has a limited time period with us. John eleven thirty two. as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother, and this is Lazarus, would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. The shortest verse in the Bible, one of the most powerful, verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Jesus, this, this account gives us a really amazing insight into death and Jesus and God. God does not delight in death. God, in man form, Jesus grieved the loss, even though he knew he was about to resurrect Lazarus. This was a temporary problem, but the problem of death grieved Jesus to his very core, that it led him to an emotional response of weeping. And I'm telling you this morning, you are not alone in your grief. Jesus didn't say, stop crying to Mary. He didn't say, move on with life. He didn't say, drink and don't think about it. He didn't say, just, just get distracted by the things of life. He sat there and wept with her. He loved her. He loved Lazarus. And it moved him to an emotional response. Jesus doesn't say, followers of me, deny your emotions, deny your feelings. 
the opposite. He says, bring those to me, and I will cry with you. Bring those to me, because guess what? I loved her more than you even loved her. And I love her still. I love him. Do you see the beauty of this? Do you see the answer that Christ gives us to all of our pain and suffering, that he says, I am there with you. I have experienced it. I allowed myself to feel that pain alongside you. I know what it feels to hurt in your soul and in your spirit. I know what that is, and I am empathetic. I am here with you. I am standing beside you, and I'm not just looking at you. I am weeping because I love you at that depth. We serve a loving Christ. We, we, we serve a Christ that doesn't tell us to just toughen up. He tells us to submit and give more to him because he will carry that burden for us. This Christmas, it's going to, yeah, it's, there's going to be times. He doesn't say it's going to be easy, that following me means you're going to feel good about everything. You're going to feel sad. You're going to feel grief. But he says, don't forget I'm there with you. I'm there with you. You're not alone in this. Jesus grieved with them. And the interesting thing is he's about to raise Lazarus. Why is he grieving? Because of death. He doesn't want us to experience death. He doesn't want death to be so powerful in our lives. That's why he came to die. You see, for all of us in this room, the Bible says this. This is what Jesus and God tell us. They say, you will live, you will live once for sure. Once you're born, you've made it into this world. You'll live once for sure. If you do not come to Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will die physically and you will die spiritually. You will have two specific deaths. And he says, I do not desire for you to have that second death. When, when they're in the garden and, and Eve says, we're not to touch or eat this, this fruit because surely we'll die. And what does the enemy say? He says, surely you won't die. And they ate and they did die. They died spiritually. And the spiritual death is significant. It's not even measurably close to physical death. Spiritual death is eternal. Spiritual death is separation from God eternally. It is the worst possible death that there can be. And so when we look at this, we see that he, he's dying so that we'll die once but be living twice. We'll be twice born. We'll be born of the flesh and born of the spirit. That's why we're here. That's what this is. That's why we sing those beautiful songs. That's why we take time out of Sunday and we take time out of every day to, to worship the King, to worship the Lord, because He has given us life and He's giving us eternal life. But so few people, so few people in our day and age recognize this truth. So we need to pray. We need to pray for them. We need to demonstrate what this means to live a life that is a twice-born life. And we need to share this good news in a loving way because they need to hear that there, are, there is a second death. And it's far more important that you are ready for that death than the first death. So many people are trying to stay young. It's amazing. How many commercials? Stay young, stay fit, stay, keep death away from you. You know, some of the strongest, most fit people have died you can't keep death away from you. It's appointed once by who? God, for you to die. And then the judgment. What's the judgment? Did you know Christ as your Savior or not? This is what we're told. This is why this is such a big deal. This is why this is such a Christmas topic. Because we are told who Jesus is. He's God made flesh. He's perfect. He's Emmanuel. 
And the myrrh tells us he came to save. He came to save. Matthew 26, another amazing story, one that you can overlook maybe in this Christmas season. I don't know if any other churches are reading this for Christmas, but I think it's amazing. I think it's powerful. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering her? All right, so context really quickly. In this place at this time, they would have these banquets, and the Pharisees had banquets, tax collectors had banquets, and instead of sitting at chairs, they would sit almost laying down on the ground, and they would sit in a circle, and you had to have an invitation to sit at the table. And if you had an invitation to sit at the table, you were important, you were special. They thought you were worthy of sitting at the table. Something you may not know that's very interesting is the lower-level people were able to come and observe Observe. And so people would come in and listen to the conversations. It was like, it was like their, their, you know, their gossip news or whatever. It was, it was their internet and their TV at the time. They were given the opportunity to come in and to observe what the powerful people were talking about. And they would walk around. And so people would be coming and going and listening to the conversations and, and trying to hear what was the leader, what was this person saying, and what were their views Well, Jesus got invited to this banquet and he's sitting there and this woman had come in with all the other people and she had taken out this this very expensive perfume and she had started to place the perfume on his feet and to anoint him with this perfume. And, And they're saying, why are you letting this lower level woman do this to you right now? It's so out of place. It's so inappropriate. It's so below all of us. Can you see the picture? And this was says, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing to me. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this perfume on my body, she has done what? She has prepared me for burial. By pouring this perfume on me, she has prepared me for burial. And then he says this, truly I tell you, Whoever this gospel is proclaimed to in the entire world, the whole world, what she has done will always be told in memory of her. She is remembered for preparing Jesus for his burial by anointing him with the oil. Do you see the beauty of God's tapestry, this picture? He keeps bringing back the atonement, the, 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 uh, the Holy Spirit covering and preparing for death. Death can only be defeated by the cross and resurrection. And Jesus is the one to do that. And the Holy Spirit then shall cover all of us. Here's this woman. We don't know how she had this knowledge. We don't know what was in her brain that led her to do this, just like we didn't know why the Magi did what they did. But what they did demonstrated something from God to us. Nobody picked up on this either. Jesus said a radical statement. He said, she's preparing me for burial. He didn't hide the fact that he was going to the cross. His mission was to save. He was there to die. Because only by his death could we ever have life eternal. Then we move ahead to Luke 23 where death is really at the pinnacle. This is where the enemy thinks he's won. Luke 23, 44, it was now about noon. The darkness came over the whole land until three because the, sun, the sun's light failed. Interesting, the curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. That same sanctuary where the anointing of the myrrh had taken place on an annual basis. And Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. 
Jesus did not swoon. He did not faint. He did not go into a coma. He did not fake his death. He died. Today we know that the separation of the blood and the water represents death. The spear entered his side. It came out, separated blood and water. He was dead. He did not fake a death, hide out in the tomb, push a, thousand, uh, a ton, two-ton rock out of the way, beat up a bunch of soldiers, and run away. That is what scholarly people want us to believe. That's how much faith you have to believe that, that the resurrection didn't happen. But it did. He was dead. He was completely dead. He had to die so that we could live. But watch this. John 19, 38. After this, after the death of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, remember, John 3.16 was given to Nicodemus just a few days earlier uh, than this account. Nicodemus also came bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of what? Myrrh and alloys. Aloes. They took Jesus' body and wrapped him in linen cloth with fragrant spices according to the burial custom of the Jews. Here's what I want you to grasp today. We three kings of Orionar traveling with gifts from afar. What were these gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gift given at his birth is the same gift given at his death. The gift given at Jesus' birth, which we're going to celebrate a week from Monday, was the same gift used upon him when he died. There was no detail overlooked by the king. There was no oversight. This was not a chance act. It's not a chance that, the, that you go back and you look at Exodus and see that the priests were to anoint the tabernacle with myrrh. Baby Jesus is brought myrrh. Jesus dead off the cross is anointed with myrrh. You've probably heard about myrrh your whole life and never thought, what is myrrh for? Because I don't think the enemy wants us to know that these magi brought something that could not make any sense unless God had revealed to them a full truth. A truth that is greater than just a nice gift to a baby. But here's the beauty. Yes, that leads us to the problem. If it ends there, we shouldn't be here. If, that, if that's the end of the story, that's the end. But it's not the end of the story. Why can we deal with death? Why can we have love and death? Luke 24, 1 through 5. On the first day of the week, this day of that time period, 2,000 years ago, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down into the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? From death to life. Death to life. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He has risen. He has risen indeed. 
First Thessalonians then says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are dead or asleep, so that you will, you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. Your hope and grief today is that Christ died and rose again. The hope of any human being anywhere at any time, the only hope is that he died and rose again. That's why we are gospel uh, that's why the gospel is always part of the message. It's always part of the conversation. We don't get away. We've never been um, too full of the gospel. The gospel is never enough. We always want to know more because it's death to life. First Corinthians says it this way. First Corinthians 15, 55. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus defeated death. Therefore, I don't have to worry about death for myself. I look forward to being reunited with those who know Christ, and I need to share with people as fervently as I know how so that they too can own that victory. Everyone, this victory is for everyone who desires to receive it. Romans 5, 6, 3, 8, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. It's Christmas. We give gifts. We get together. We have a good meal. We try to convince ourselves that things can be better. We try to convince ourselves that things are good. But we miss all of Christmas if we miss the gift of Christ. We miss all of the joy of Christmas. We miss all the wonder of Christmas if we miss the fact that he was given myrrh because he was the baby that had to be born so that he could die so that we could live. If we miss the death, we'll miss the love. If we miss the cost, we'll miss what it is to be his child. All of these things are connected. And so we ask the question, what does God want us to know about grieving and death in this season of holiday coming together? I think, number one, he wants us to know that he loves us. He doesn't despise us when we get sad. He doesn't look down on us when we feel like, I wish that person was still here. But he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to seek him in those moments and to know that we can trust him in death. You can trust him with your own life when it comes to death. You can trust him with everyone you know by sharing the gospel with them. And you can trust that one day you will be reunited in a place where there is no death. One of the most, you know, the fact that there's no sin is wonderful, but the fact that there is no death is even more wonderful. It's interesting, some scientists, they did, a, they did a whole seminar on how 
entropy. If you know entropy, everything gets worse over time. Like if your kids, you let them not clean their room, their room's going to get dirtier and dirtier. It doesn't get cleaner and cleaner. Your car doesn't get better over time. It gets worse. We all know our bodies, at some point, it just keeps getting worse and worse. Entropy means things get worse. And it's this idea that the, the, the world, the universe was cursed in some way with entropy, that things are getting worse and worse and worse. And actually, there's so many mutations now that we shouldn't exist in about 20,000 years because of how bad mutations are in our, in our DNA. But there was a Christian scientist that says when Christ turns that around, that means everything gets better and better and better in heaven. Did you get that? In this life, things deteriorate. In that life, they get better. They increase. Every day is better. Every moment is better. It just eternally gets better and better and better and better and better and better forever. For that to happen, Christ had to pay the price. And the myrrh was the symbol of the fact that he had to be our savior. And his savior revealed that he loved us with a love that none of us could even have for each other. A love that I could never show another human being, Christ showed to me. And he showed to you. So my question this morning, as we ponder these truths, how do you deal with death? It's one of our two greatest problems that everyone faces. How do you deal with death? The death of yours, of your life one day, people you love, people you're concerned about, how do you deal with it? Do you believe Jesus can overcome death? Do you believe he has overcome death? Do you believe he will overcome death? Do you trust that he is the answer to death today? Do you, like the Magi, desire to show through your life, the gift of your life, that you believe in him as Savior? As they brought myrrh, you bring your life the myrrh of your life. Do you know someone that has needs for comfort and grief? This is a season where there's a lot of happiness, but there's also a lot of pain. And there's a lot of people we know that this is a very difficult season. Today we're gonna go to the, the nursing home. There's quite a few widows. There's quite a few orphans in this world. There's quite a few hurting people that if we're to truly love our neighbor as we love ourselves, we can't turn a blind eye to their grief and their pain. They may be very wealthy and still in very much high levels of pain from grief. Do we love them enough to invest in their life and to share this good news with them? How do I apply these scriptures to my life? I first, first and foremost, every single day, we should thank Jesus for dying for our sins. That is the greatest gift that you could ever receive. And a good way to show that you're thankful for the gift is continually thanking him for it. Once again, Lord, I am thankful that I no longer need to be separated from you. I have hope. Second, confess sin. The one way that will take your, your happiness, your joy, and it will also take your ability to be thankful is if you have unconfessed sin. And so we got to deal with the sin. The sin is not our friend. The sin is not a gift that will give us anything good. It is death. And until we recognize that and put it at the cross, we'll never have victory. Ask the Holy Spirit for comfort today. If this is you, ask, speak, interact with God and say, I feel this way. You grieved with Mary, grieve with me. I need, your, I need your hope and peace. I need comfort in my life. You know, the Holy Spirit's called the great comforter. For a reason, he wants to bring comfort to your soul. 
I was told when my mom passed away, you just need to move on in life and forget and move on. And that really bothered me. It really bothered me that they kept saying, just move on in life, you'll be okay. And then I had a, a mentor tell me, you don't move on, you move with. She's in a much better place, first of all, Michael Peter Bailey. <laughs> That's, um, but second of all, second of all, if I truly have put my faith and trust in Christ, how is that being revealed through my thoughts and actions? Do I recognize there's a great cloud of witnesses that are following me and, and are part of my life still? And how am I carrying on the legacy that she loved Jesus and she demonstrated that to me how to love Jesus and I need to keep doing that so that my children can move with me and their children can move with them and it's not like they're just gone, they don't matter anymore, they're done, they're in our rear view mirror. No, we honor them and we build on the foundation that they built on and we continue the chain that has been strong and passed down. Don't move on, move with. Recognize the wonder and, and, and the, the, the possibilities of you investing in someone else's life like they invested into your life. And then finally, share the news of Jesus' victory over death. I think you, in any conversation, people will bring themselves to the place where they recognize sin and death are the worst things. They may not know sin, they may not understand that term or that principle, but they understand the world's broken and it's not the way it should be. Their life isn't the way it should be. Nothing is turning out the way they think it should turn out. Well, what's the root of all of that? Sin. And what is the thing we don't talk about because we don't know how to deal with it is death. So this is an opportunity in a loving way to say there's victory over both of those things. And it is freely given to you. And that's why over two to three billion people will celebrate this person's life. And then they'll celebrate the fact that he rose from the dead. Why? Who was he? He's worthy of all this attention. Jesus is giving us a really good door into people's lives. The question is, will we open that door? Will we knock on that door? Will we pursue those conversations? And then finally, Nobody forced you to believe, and you can't force anyone else to believe. We have to patiently love people. Patiently and never give up. Never, ever, ever give up. Patiently. I, my mom cried for uh, me and my four brothers many nights that we would love Jesus. And there was a season where we did not love Jesus, but she did not give up. That is the challenge we have today. That is the calling of our lives today. And so my question is, what is God saying to you specifically?